Open your Bibles up to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Last week we began our study of Ruth, and this is really part two of last week's sermon. The book of Ruth is a book that reminds us that God providentially works according to his covenant love. As you read through Ruth, you witness a story of of everyday Israelites during the time of the judges. They experience sorrow in chapter 1, struggle in chapter 2, hope in chapter 3, and then finally redemption in chapter 4. But this narrative really goes beyond just speaking of how things worked out in the end for two ladies, and a family. This story is about God's providence and how he works all things according to his covenant love for these two widows here, Ruth and Naomi, for Israel, for national Israel, but then ultimately for all of us, for all of his redeemed. You see, Ruth is really the story of how God preserved the messianic line. In chapter 1, it seems like Elimelech's royal ancestral line will die with him and his sons. But the author chronicles how God preserved the royal line of Elimelech through Ruth. And how Ruth then in chapter 4 gave birth to Obed, who was the great-grandfather of David. And of course, through King David and his descendants came Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer of our sins. So therefore, Ruth is about God governing the natural affairs of this world according to his covenant love to fulfill his promise to bring forth a Messiah who will redeem his people. So every week, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear me say that right there because that is the theme here of Ruth. God governing the natural affairs of this world according to his covenant love to fulfill his promise to bring forth a Messiah who will redeem his people. Last week, we looked at God's providence and how Naomi responded to God's providence. Naomi responded to God's providence with bitterness. Today, we're going to look at Ruth and how she responded to God's providence. We're going to see the blessing of responding with covenant love. The blessing of responding with covenant love. Let's do this. Let's read through the whole chapter of Ruth. Should we do that? Would you stand with me as I read Ruth chapter 1? A lot of scripture here this morning, but we remember that the scripture is the word of God. And so when we read the scripture, we're actually speaking God's own words to us. Ruth chapter 1, the Bible says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and went And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with with the dead, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. 
Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in the womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should, should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Father, we ask that you will use this word to speak to our hearts here this morning. Help us, Lord. Give us strength and grace. Give us wisdom and your spirit work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Francis Schaeffer told a story of the brother in church in Germany during World War II. He'd said that during World War II, Hitler had passed some laws against religious freedom and really wanted the, the church to conform and to um, enforce some of the ideas of the party, of the Nazi party. And so this Brethren Church was a gospel-preaching evangelical church. They actually had a church split over it. Half of the churches and pastors wanted to comply with the government laws, and the other half did not. Those churches and pastors who, who submitted to Hitler throughout World War II, they, many of them lost their Christian devotion, and they really went through World War II trying to just spiritually stay neutral and survive. The other churches and pastors preached Christ. They gathered to pray. They formed their own sermons, and they declared that in opposition to what the Nazis wanted, which was them to turn their sermons into them and get them approved and have pastors who are approved, sermons that are approved. As a result, those pastors, those faithful pastors and churches, they suffered much, much persecution. Husbands and wives and pastors, some went to concentration camps, some were tortured, some were killed, some never came home. When the war was over, there were two parts then to the Brethren Church, and there was bitterness between them. Many had brothers and sisters that had been, in the church, brothers and sisters who had been taken away and never seen from again. Then there was the other side of the church who, who they lived like normal Germans throughout the war. They compromised. And so what are they going to do? How, how do they bridge this gap between these two parts to this denomination, this church. Well, they all gathered together, and Francis Schaeffer tells the story of how they all gathered as one in, a, in some kind of convention they have. And soon people started to confess their sins and started to cry, hug, embrace, 
pray together, and they forgave each other. How do you overcome that type of division in a church? How do you overcome bitterness like that? How can you be on that one side where you have a pastor or a father who never came home and another side where a person compromised and yet you forgive them in the end? Well, the answer is covenant love. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to highlight how Ruth responded with covenant love. Here you have Elimelech and Naomi. They're living in Bethlehem. It's the time of famine. But instead of them turning to the Lord in faith, they look to the other side of the Jordan and the grass, in their view, is greener on the other side. They left God's place of blessing. So they planned this short trip to Moab, which turned into a permanent residency there. After that decision, Elimelech, the the father, dies. Now Naomi's a widow. And Naomi actually allows her sons to marry Moabite, or daughters, yeah, her sons to marry marry Moabite women. So instead of returning to Israel, she allows this marriage to take place, these marriages to take place. Deuteronomy 7 prohibited Israelites from marrying pagan wives. Deuteronomy 23 especially prohibited Moabites. We talked about this last week. They they worshiped, the Moabites worshiped a god, many gods, but their main god was Chamash, and they would actually do child sacrifice to this god. They worshiped an immorality. So this was a wicked people, and yet her friends, her neighbors, the people she dwelt with were these people. And they remained there for 10 years. Neither Ruth nor Orpah, her daughters-in-law, were able to conceive children, and then their husbands died. So now Naomi's left with two widows. So there's three widows in one house. Without husbands, they were destined to be poor beggars. Without husbands, children, or grandchildren, Naomi had no way to continue the family line, had no way to secure her future. I mean, imagine the devastation for this. Like, imagine the devastation for Naomi and even Ruth and for Orpah. I mean, their, their lives did seem bitter, didn't it? And so how does Naomi respond? We learned last week she responded with bitterness. And it's important for us to remember what this is because it helps us to contrast what it means to respond with covenant love. Remember, bitterness is a response of resentment about someone that you believe has treated you unfairly. This past week, I had people who texted me and emailed me, and some even talked to me personally and said, I, I have some bitterness I'm struggling with. You know why? I think that's pretty common. I think all of us are tempted to have these seeds of bitterness be planted in our heart. We, we can have this resentment that can seethe in our souls and take root and bring forth the fruit of anger, and wrath, and slander. And and really, really the root of bitterness is this belief that you've been wronged and you have been treated unfairly and you deserve to be treated better. It could be that you believe God has treated you unfairly or someone else has treated you unfairly. So look at verse 13. We see this with Ruth. Look at chapter one, verse 13. In the middle of that verse, I'm sorry, we see this with Naomi. In the middle of that verse, Naomi responds and says to her daughters-in-law, Know my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. And then notice this, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord is an anthropomorphism. That's a big word, huh? But basically it means that they're, they're using here, the author is using the And Naomi is using a picture of what a human does, a human hand. We know God doesn't have hands, but just like a human hand would control something, God controls the affairs of this life. I brought up a pen here. I think about this pen right here. And this is my pen. I get to control what is written. If I want to write a love note to my wife, I can do that. If I want to write a check to you, I could do that. And, you know, if this pen could speak, which is kind of silly, right? But if the pen could speak and say, hey, you can't write that. You can't do that. Like, what would I say to it? Excuse me, I'm the one in charge. Like, it's my pen. I get to write what I want to write. 
And so here what we see is Naomi recognizes that God's hand is actually involved in controlling the affairs of her life, but she's like that pen that says, but I don't like it. And she's bitter at the Lord. She believed God was wrong and she resented what God gave her. In effect, what Naomi's bitterness was saying is, God, I know better. I would do a better job at your job. And that's really what bitterness is. Bitterness is really this idea that I'm going to put myself in the place of God. I am now the one who has wisdom to know what's best. I'm the one who's judge and therefore can tell what should happen. And so that's, that's bitterness. That's bitterness in our hearts. Let me just think about some examples here for us to think through as we go through this. Bitterness is a teen that thinks to themselves, my parents don't have a clue, right? I can't stand them. And so they have this bitterness in their heart. It's an employee that might, might toss and turn at night and he, he despises his boss and he thinks about how can I just get rid of him in my life? It's a church member that lists faults of people around him and, and keeps score so that he can use that to his advantage. And so that's what we see here is Naomi has this bitterness. And so later on, in fact, look down at the end of the chapter, the women ask her, you know, is this Naomi? Look at verse 20. She responds to the women of Bethlehem and she says, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And I talked about this last week, and I think it's good to highlight this because this is going to help us contrast God's goodness and his love for us. But Naomi has a wrong view of God here. Remember, her view here is that, that, that God, that I, I give myself good things. When good things happen, I credit myself. When bad things happen, I blame God. So the businessman says, look, look what I've done. Look at, look at my business. Let me show you this. And it, he credits his own ingenuity. And then when it goes away, he goes, God, why'd you do this to me? And that's a wrong view of God right there where it says that, that good things are because of me, bad things are because of God. And we must reject Naomi's theology on suffering and embrace the truth of scripture. And what is the truth about suffering? Well, every good gift comes from who? From God, from the father of the stars, from the father of lights. And also he gifts us, this is a hard one, he gifts us with suffering. God's good gifts and his gifts of suffering are for our good and it's for his glory. And we must trust God is powerful enough to do what he wants. God is wise enough to know the best way to do that. And God is good enough that he will do good for us what he's doing is best for us to make us more like his son, to bring himself glory. So Naomi only saw the bad. God's bringing me bad. She thought it was for her detriment. And again, she had this bitterness in her heart. I think that's therefore why she thought this way. So let's look at the opposite of that. What's the opposite? What do you do? If you said, my, my heart feels bitter. I do have those thoughts. Sometimes my heart about people what are you to do? How should you respond? Well, notice how Ruth responded. Look at verse 8. As Naomi and her daughter, daughters-in-law were moving out of town, out of town Moab, out of the country of Moab, Naomi stopped and she tried to convince them to, to go back. Look at verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your her mother's house, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. One of the difficulties in understanding Naomi's thinking is here we see this belief in God. And actually, it seems like she even believes in God's kindness. Of course, we saw last week she never applies it to herself in this text, but she believes in God's kindness. But then if you look down in verse 15, we see that she admonishes her daughters-in-law to return to Moab and go back to worshiping the demonic idols, right? I mean, how can you bless them in this verse, in the name of the Lord, 
and then know that they're going to go back and worship idols and maybe one of their children is going to be born and they're going to be sacrificed to a God. And do you really think that the Lord who deals kindly would send ladies back to that? So clearly there's this disconnect between what she's saying and what she actually is living. But what I want you to notice in verse 8, though, is I think the Lord puts this in this text here and highlights this for us, because what she is saying is true. Even if she's not living it out, what she's saying is true. May the Lord deal kindly with you. This is a common Israelite farewell that asks Yahweh to bless other people. May God's kindness be upon you. May his love be upon you. This reflects the biblical teaching that God is a God of covenant love. And so our first really point here to to look at the characteristics of covenant love is, first of all, covenant love comes from God. Covenant love comes from God. Look at the word kindly there in verse 8. The English word kindly. Behind that English word kindly is the Hebrew word hesed or Hesed, if you want to say it with a guttural tone. Hesed. This is a very, very significant word in Hebrew. You might never have heard this word before, but this is probably one that I would recommend. You go home this week and you study this word in the Old Testament. It occurs over 240 times. The problem in English is as we read through our Bibles, we don't see just one word translated from this word hesed into something in the English. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated kindness. Sometimes it's translated steadfast love. Sometimes grace. Sometimes goodness. It's a difficult word to pin down. There's actually no single word in English that can convey this word hesed right here. And why is that? Well, over 240 times this word is used in the scripture Three quarters of them describe God in his hesed, his love, his kindness. I think the reason it's a difficult word to kind of translate into English is because it describes God, his love. Of course, God is an infinite God. It's describing God's goodness. A Bible scholar, Daryl Bach, wrote this. Hesed is wrapping up in itself All the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, and loyalty. In other words, hesed is all of God's goodness, all of God's goodness toward his covenant people wrapped up in one word. So this this is not a description of how God feels about someone or he has pleasant thoughts. This is a love that God has for people. It's an active love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a faithful love. It's a love that stoops down. It's a love that's connected to his faithful relationship, his faithful covenant. Hesed is, this is my definition, Hesed is God's action of unconditional, faithful love to those who don't deserve it. Hesed is God's action of unconditional, faithful love to those who don't deserve it. That's very important for us because as we go through and we talk about covenant love or this hesed love, this is what we're talking about right here. In fact, let's look at a couple texts. Would you go over with me to Exodus chapter 34? It's important for us to understand this word in Ruth because really what you see is, is God showing hesed, God showing covenant love to Ruth and Naomi. And then you see Ruth living out that covenant love. Exodus chapter 34, of course, we see this word in many places, but here, here we remember that Yahweh delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Remember that? And and they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and they come before the mountain of God, the Mount Sinai, and Moses ascended the mountain, and Yahweh spoke to him directly, and on In the valley, at the bottom of the mountain, the people sinned against God. They worshiped idols. They had immoral relations with each other. So Moses went down, confronted the people, called them to repentance. And what did Israel at that moment deserve? Think about that. The holy God on that mountain, the thunders, the the lightnings, the cloud, the Ten Commandments, the people on the bottom 
are living an immoral life, worshiping idols. What did they deserve at that moment? They deserved God's wrath, didn't they? But what's interesting is they didn't deserve Hesed love. They didn't deserve covenant love. But notice verse 6, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, and that's the word right there, hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping hesed, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Notice his action toward Israel was according to his covenant love. Go to, ex, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. This, this hesed, this covenant love is found in many covenants God makes with his people. In fact, his covenants are based upon this love. 2 Samuel, don't look this up, just I'll throw this out there. 2 Samuel 7, God makes an unconditional covenant with David based upon hesed love. Solomon in 1 Kings 8.23 embraces God's Hesed, God's covenant love. Daniel prayed according to God's covenant love in Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. Joseph believed that God showed Hesed loved him, covenant love in Genesis 39, 21. And then notice in Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. So there's one God. Know that he is the God. And what kind of God is he? The faithful God who keeps his covenant and what? And Hesed, his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Go back to Ruth chapter one. The scripture teaches that God works according to his steadfast love. Remember, a covenant is a promise. It's a really a promise that cannot be broken. Like a, like a husband and a wife are joined together in a covenant of marriage which is not supposed to be broken. The story goes of a pastor who visited a lady who was in the hospital and she was, she was passing, she was dying. And so he wanted to go give her assurance and, and enjoy a conversation with her about the Lord. And so at one point in the conversation, he asked her a question. He said to her, what would you say to God if, if you passed away and you didn't make it into heaven? What would you say to him? Not a question I recommend pastors ask, but anyways, that's how the story goes. And she said, well, I tell God that he's got a bigger problem than I do. And the pastor goes, oh, well, what do you mean by that? She said, well, I'd lose my soul, but he'd lose his reputation. And the point is this, is what? When God makes a promise, when God makes a covenant, he keeps it. That's Hesed love. That's covenant love right there. God is love. That's not a feeling. That's not a, that's not a good thought towards someone. That's action. That's faithful love based upon his promise. And so covenant love comes from God. Look at verse 8, Ruth 1.8. And notice this comes from God, but also she identifies that this is how Ruth and Orpah, but Ruth particularly we're talking about today. That's how Ruth has responded. Verse 8, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So what we're going to see here is God is the one who gives covenant love, and then we're going to see Ruth is the one who lives that out in her life as she trusts in the Lord. Look at verse 14. After Naomi convinced Orpah to return to Moab, they cried together, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Ruth's like, I'm not going to return to Moab. I'm not going to stay really in Moab. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And notice this, your God, my God. 
What we observe in this text is Orpah returned or really stayed in Moab, but Ruth does not want to stay. She is here rejecting her gods. She's rejecting actually even the people that she is a part of, that she grew up with, the Moabites, and she chooses to follow the Lord. So verse 17 is Ruth's confession of faith in Yahweh. And then verse 16, though, is her confession of repentance. In other words, she's saying, I do not want that life anymore. And notice she completely, with finality, turned from the ways of Moab. She clings to her mother-in-law. If you remember, as I read through this text, you'll see over and over where you see return, return, go back. And many times in a negative connotation, in other words, go back to Moab. But I think what you see here in the text is God is trying to get across to us that really covenant love starts with repentance. Responding with covenant love love starts with repentance. Naomi's feet turned back to Israel, but her heart had not turned back to Yahweh. But here Ruth's feet turns back to Israel and her heart turns away from Moab and to the Lord. But look at the end of verse verse 14. Verse 14, the end says, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, so she goes back to Moab, but Ruth clung to her. This word clung to is the same Hebrew word found in Genesis 2, 24, where a husband cleaves to his wife. They become one flesh. It's this idea that I am not going to leave. Ruth was determined not to go back to her gods. Look at verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Now, friends, this was not because Ruth had a more materially or socially secure future in Israel. Think about Ruth's situation. It was actually the exact opposite. If she went back to Moab, she gets remarried. That's what the young women wanted. She maybe gets to have children. She actually has family back in Moab, right? Her parent, her mother's house. Like you can go be with your family. That's her culture. That's how she grew up. She's never been to Israel. And furthermore, she's going to a people who had disdain for her. In fact, Ruth wanted to go to Israel, but Naomi said, I don't even want you to go with me. So it's like everything is against Ruth going back to Israel or going to Israel. But she says, no, I want to go with you. So this is not Ruth choosing the better economic or socially promising option Ruth is saying, I'm not going to follow those idols. I'm not going to be with my family. I want to follow you, Naomi. And really, I want to follow your God. Ruth, I think here we see is her turning away from the ways of the Moabites. Responding with covenant love, I think first the scripture teaches us, it starts with repentance. In Romans chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible describes the sinner. It's very interesting. The Bible says that the sinner's mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And then in verse 16, it says, And in their path, the path of the sinner, the one who is bitter, their paths are ruin and misery. When we choose the path of bitterness, it ruins our lives. Bitterness is the malignant cancer that is hidden in the heart of the hurting. That cancer slowly metastasizes to your thinking, your motives, your desires, your words, until the bitterness kills your spiritual life, your relationships, and really you. So what we need to do is confess it and say, this is sin. Psalms 32, 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Going the life of bitterness is going to be a terrible road for you. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. No matter what you're going through, if you trust in the Lord, his covenant love can surround 
you. So responding with covenant love starts with repentance and also it's a commitment to trust and submit to God. Look at verse 16. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you for for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And then notice this, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. According to one commentator, Daniel Block, the end of verse 16 is better translated actually as a present tense. So if you look at the end of verse 16, it looks like it's future tense. Your people shall be. So he said it's better to translate it present tense like this. Your people are my people and your God is my God. In other words, this isn't a future goal for her. Like, hopefully when we get to Israel, I'll follow your God. She's saying, no, no, it's final. It's set. I'm following Yahweh. I'm following your God. And then notice in verse 17, she even uses the covenant name for God, Yahweh. Verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. So this, this is a vow she's making and saying, it's for the rest of my life. May the Lord, may Yahweh do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. In other words, I vow before Yahweh, I vow before the God who has made a covenant with his people, I vow to keep my vow until death. What's astonishing here is that Ruth is now speaking as a follower of God. She submitted and trusted in the Lord, even vowing to keep her promise until death. Now you say, why is that surprising, Pastor Ben? Like I read that, I'm like, oh, that sounds sounds like a good option for her. Well, she's a Gentile. Think about Ruth. She's a Gentile. She's never been to the land of Israel. Her native tongue was a Canaanite dialect. Her ancestors, the Moabites, descended from an incestuous relationship with Lot. So they have this mark upon them. Her people were constantly oppressing Israel. Her people worshiped idols. The point is, Ruth might seem to be the last person on earth who we think should deserve and receive God's covenant love. Now, we think about Ruth and we think about the rest of the story. And we go, oh, but Ruth's such a sweet girl. But think about who she really was in context as a Moabite. Ruth was from a cursed, wicked, damned people, and she didn't deserve anything but judgment, especially covenant love. And she was a lot like who? Me and you, right? We are a cursed people, right? Our sin has put a curse upon us. We, by nature and by choice, are sinners against the holy God. We're not much different than Ruth. But God has demonstrated covenant love to us. Why did God demonstrate covenant love to Ruth? Because that's the type of people that God shows covenant love to. Listen to this. Romans 8, 5. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Friends, if you're in here and you're without Jesus Christ, God invites you into his covenant family. And he doesn't invite the righteous. He doesn't invite the people who bring their good works before him or or the religious. He invites the sinner. He invites the one who says, I have offended you, God. I've sinned against you, God. I deserve nothing from you but judgment and punishment. But I receive your covenant love. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died in my place. He became a curse for me on that cross. And then he rose victoriously from the grave. Those are the people who Christ saves. So we are to come to him like Ruth, where she turned from her ways, from her beliefs, from her sin, and trusted in the Lord. We're to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And so my call to those in here without Christ, those who are running from Christ, is humble yourself today. Humble yourself today. Turn to the Lord. And church, we 
who profess Christ, we, who say Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, we follow him. Let me ask this question. Are you still humbled by the fact that you don't deserve his covenant love? Are you humbled by the fact that you don't deserve his covenant love? As Christians, our hearts can become dull to the Lord's covenant love. To the point, listen, to the point that sometimes we think, I actually deserve this. Like, I actually have a part in this. Like, I'm actually, like, doing a pretty good job in life. I deserve this covenant love from God. Well, that's not true. In fact, I think that even is what seeps into the heart of a Christian who turns bitter. Right? Because a bitter person thinks like this. Look at me. I don't deserve this. Right? A bitter person thinks, I can't believe that person would do that to me. Think what I've done. I can't believe God would do that to me. Think what I've done for God. And you can see how bitterness can easily poison your heart with pride and with self-importance to the point where you exalt yourself above God and above other people and you think to yourself, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. That's the heart of bitterness. That's the heart of a person who's far from God. We don't deserve anything from God except immediate judgment and hell for our sins. But God offers the exact opposite to those who confess that. He offers his covenant love. And so, Christian, we have covenant love, but may we never have a heart of bitterness that thinks we deserve something else besides what we actually do deserve from God. May we always be thankful that he has shown his covenant love to us. And may we therefore respond in covenant love to other people. Responding with covenant love also, therefore, means sacrificially seeking another's good. Ruth's confession of faith to Yahweh, in her confession of faith to Yahweh, she commits to sacrificially seeking Naomi's best interest. Think about that. Naomi told her that she didn't even want her to come. <laughs> like, I don't even want you to come on this journey with me. Naomi tried to convince her to stay. Go back to your people. Go back to your gods. Naomi painted the worst picture possible of going back to Israel. She set up a better scenario in Moab. Yet Ruth was still committed to going to Israel with her. And why? What was Ruth's mission? What was her mission? Well, she says it very clearly. Look at verse 16. Ruth says in verse 16, For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. Notice she's saying, I'm going to stay with you forever. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So Ruth received God's covenant love, and she extended that to Naomi. Notice Ruth Loved Naomi even when Ruth didn't receive it in return. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. So how does Naomi respond? Well, we saw this last week. Look at verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, you think about that. That's, this trek takes about probably two to three days back to Jerusalem. So let's, say, let's say it's two days. Two days of Naomi saying no more. Like two days of two ladies not talking. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I can imagine as they're going along that Ruth is maybe even... At some point, she's tempted maybe to even think, like, really? You're not going to say anything to me about this? Like, think about what Ruth has gone through. Her husband died, too. For all she knew, she was barren, too. I mean, she's going through pain as well. I mean, give me a little something, Naomi, right? I mean, don't you think she was tempted with that? But what you see in the text, it, it, it demonstrates that she actually responds with sacrificial love to Naomi. Even with Naomi's bitterness, in spite of that, in spite of Ruth's own suffering, Ruth extended this covenant love, this active, unconditional, faithful love to one who didn't deserve it. She took the initiative 
in the relationship. But that doesn't really make sense because Naomi is the elder, right? I mean, she's the older woman. She's the one in that society, in that culture. She should have taken the initiative. How many of us, I think, use this excuse, right? Well, that person should talk to me first. Like, she should be more mature. I'll I'll wait for her to come talk to me. Well, he's a deacon in the church. A deacon, he should come talk to me. I'll wait for him. I'll wait for her. But not Ruth. She took the initiative to show love, to unify the relationship. And notice Ruth loved by seeking to keep the relationship. Like, how easily people throw away relationships How easily sometimes we throw away relationships. Well, if you're not going to see it my way, then hit the road, Jack. That's how sometimes we think. Sometimes even in marriages, you kind of have this idea. One person determines. Maybe the wife determines, I'm not going to talk to him until he gives in. And the husband responds, well, good. I don't like talking anyways. Okay, so maybe that's stereotyping a little bit. But, but they hold on to bitterness, poison the relationship. What if, what if, what if you were to take the initiative? What if you asked for forgiveness for what you did wrong? What if you took the first step of genuine humility and acted in love? Maybe it. A church member thinks, well, that person said this to me. I can't forget that. I'm not going to let that go in my mind. So they allow that problem to divide them from someone else. But if you have a problem with someone else, what does Christ command us to do? Let's reconcile that. And if you've reconciled it, shouldn't love cover a multitude of sins? Let me be clear. I'm I'm not talking about allowing someone to abuse you. Okay? We're not talking about that. I'm not talking about pretending like someone's sin is okay. Sin needs to be confronted. Abuse needs to be stopped immediately. And an authority needs to be contacted. We're talking about here a heart that is tempted to grow resentful. We're talking about the person who, who has something that's very difficult in their life and you're tempted to be bitter and the answer to that is what? What's the answer to that? We need to respond with covenant love, which means we, we sacrificially seek another's good. Corey Tinboom, you might have heard of her. She worked against the Nazis in World War II, hiding Jews in her home. When she was, ca- when she was caught, she was sent to a concentration camp. She was stripped of her dignity. She saw her father and her sister, Betsy, die in front of her. After the war, she would go around and speak in churches, and she'd speak about God's forgiveness and his love for us. One service in Munich, she saw a former SS guard. He was was the one who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center at the concentration camp. I mean, think about that. He was the first Nazi she actually saw after all that had happened to her. And as she saw him in the back and he was coming toward her, suddenly the picture of everything flashed back for her. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothes, her sister Betsy's painful face as she was dying. This guard came up to her in the church He beamed with a smile and he bowed to her. And he said, how grateful I am for your message. To think, as you say, God has washed away my sins. She said that his hand was thrust out to shake my hand. And this is what she said. I, who preach so often to the people of the need to forgive, kept my hand by my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of my heart. 
Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? And she prayed, Lord, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile, she says. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. So again, I breathe a silent prayer. Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. And while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And at that moment, I discovered that our forgiveness, I should say it's not of our forgiveness that the world finds healing, but it's of his forgiveness. Jesus Christ's forgiveness and love. And when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. What a picture of covenant love overcoming bitterness. In the face of temptation to be bitter, Corey Timboom and here Ruth demonstrated covenant love and then last, very briefly, responding with covenant love honors God and ministers grace. Look in chapter two, verse 20. We see this word hesed used three times in Ruth. I think last week I might have misspoken and said two, but this is really three times. This is the second time it's used. Ruth chapter two, verse 20. Naomi's in her home. Bitter Naomi's in her home. Ruth went out and worked in the fields all day to provide. Look at verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, when she saw God's goodness, may he, that's Boaz, be blessed by the Lord. Now she's going to speak about the Lord whose kindness, whose hesed has not forsaken the living or the dead. What happened here? What bitter Naomi is now turned to someone who recognizes God's covenant love. What did God use to change her heart? Well, covenant love honors God and it ministers grace. Covenant love comes from God. And so if we have a heart that is tempted with bitterness, what should we do? We've got to confess it to the Lord. We need to turn from that way of thinking, turn from holding on to that, turn to the self-exaltation of bitterness and respond in a commitment to trust and submit to God. Respond with God's covenant love by sacrificially seeking another's good, trusting that he honors covenant love and it can actually work in the heart of people. Let's pray.